My name's Rich. I'm one of the pastors here at the Firehouse. I just want to welcome you, especially if you're new with us here. And if you're not new with us this morning, I want to welcome you and thank you for coming as well. Um, We are nearing the end of a series that we've started of going through the book of James, just one chapter at a time. And so we are going to take a look at James chapter 4 this morning here. And it's it's kind of a, if James hasn't been meaty enough for you thus far, James chapter 4 is like punch, punch, body blow, body blow, punch, uppercut. It's a, it's a serious chapter here. So I'm um, trying to figure out what the title is. And, uh, you know, just a quick review of James. We had the first one was uh, maybe, you know, it wasn't official, but maybe we'd call it Just Do It. Chapter 2 was... Uh, I would call it maybe something like just prove it, where we're, we have faith and we're just trying to prove that faith that we have on the inside by our actions. And um, chapter 3, last week we talked about the, our speech, and especially about taming the tongue, was just tame it. This week I was looking over this chapter just going, man, uh, I don't know how to title it. Um, I was thinking something like, uh, James might entitle it something like, Just Deal With Your Issues. Um, That didn't seem like a very friendly way to put it, so uh, we did the more mild form of just humble yourself. So um, ultimately, this chapter, James does tackle a bunch of issues, and he's really blunt and in in the face of the people he's speaking to, writing to, um, and and he he deals with the issues, and he gives solutions. He looks at the causes of the problems, and he gives the cure, and so we're going to do some of that here this morning, but we'll go ahead and pray. Hope you have a handout, um, and there should be a pen in the seat pocket in front of you, or, you know, um, you can find a pen somewhere here, but I'm, I'm planning on just using this handout instead of the overhead today, so I'm hoping to see lots of, like, hands moving. If you're not paying attention, at least wiggle your hand a little bit, and it'll throw me off. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll jump into this. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just want to look to you freshly this morning. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and it's active and it transforms us when we believe it, when we obey it, when we apply it. And God, we just ask that this chapter that James wrote to um, to Christians um, two centuries ago, that it would still be living and active and would... Um, have ways to apply to our lives today. We just ask you would help us through your Holy Spirit to, to see how it might apply. Um, God, we just pray you would speak to each one of us, open up a channel from you to our hearts through your word and through your spirit. We just ask this um, all in the gracious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Alright, so James chapter 4. Um, and really the way we're going to do this, since it's so kind of action-packed, we're just going to look at a few verses at a time, and we're going to try to recover from the, the blows that we received from those uh, one verse at a time here, and then we'll go on to the next ones here. But, uh, you know, it's a, I, I feel like it's a fairly intense one. I was trying to figure out how to be as encouraging as possible when James is like going off on people here. So I'm going to try to help balance James out a little bit. Um, Anyways, we'll start with this, uh, probably the first, we'll, we'll just do the first two verses here. Uh, and it goes like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. 
You quarrel and you and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. I guess we'll take the next verse too. I'll read it. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay. Welcome to In Your Face here. Um, you know, uh, some of these blanks, I'm just going to let you fill in some things here. But the first section here on, on just don't do it, you know, there's a whole list of things he speaks to that we could say just don't do. Um, depending on the translation that you read, we have the, the new international version here. Um, but if you've got the NAS or some of these others, some of these words, you know, have some synonyms for them as well. So you might put in this first blank here, don't... Don't fight, don't quarrel, don't argue, don't bicker. Uh, those are a few words related to the, the first sentence there. Um, some other one you might throw in there, don't envy, don't lust, don't murder. I think the NAS in some one section says uh, uh, you lust and murder. And, and those are some pretty serious charges. He's speaking to, um, most believe James was just written to believers throughout different parts of the world, and he's speaking to believers here. You know, you could say, well, the lost people, of course, they're doing all those sins. I can't believe them. But he's speaking to people like you and me, and he's got a lot of serious things he's confronting. And so, um, let's see here. And, and I'm trying to see, you know, as you look at that list, hopefully there's something you go, well, maybe I can relate a little bit to to envy or, or coveting is wanting something strong desires for something that's not yours um, different translations use coveting and lust are kind of one and the same thing lust is strongly desiring something that's not yours it's not in the Ten Commandments but I believe it relates to do not covet and it talks about not coveting your neighbor's wife your neighbor's car your neighbor's it doesn't say car in the Old Testament but you know what I mean um Sometimes, I don't know, maybe just if you look around your household or your marriage, is there any arguing going on? Is there any bickering? Is there any uh, fighting and quarreling? You know, sometimes it says we, we fight and quarrel because we don't get what we want. Uh, a lot of times I think many of us want, uh, we want to have our rights. You know, I have the right to be treated respectfully. I have the right to be considered and understood. I have the right to, uh, you know, we want our rights. And we can fight from. Sometimes we just want the right to be right. You know, we fight and quarrel until someone finally walks off the argument battlefield, going, "You're right." You know, whatever. Um, but but these are desires that come from within us, and James is speaking right in the middle of them. Now, some of us might say murder. You know, uh, how many of you have murdered this last week? Anybody? Okay, I hope not. You know, uh, if if not, if so. We will graciously turn you into the police department here. Um, just talk to us afterwards. We'll get you pointed in the right direction. But, um, you know, when he's speaking of murder, we know that Jesus spoke uh, to the issue of murder. And, and he said, you know, hey, murder starts in the heart. You know, and I just want to quickly read to you. Maybe you don't connect with the idea of murdering anyone this past week. Uh, I hope not. But Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5:22. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He goes on to say, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And that's what he said in response to those, you know, do not murder anyone who murders. They're like, ah, we're not murdering. But he's saying, hey, look, if you've got this anger, you've got bitterness, you've got hatred in your heart, you will be judged for murder because God designed your heart and the things, the laws that apply to your heart just as much as he designed our body and the laws that apply to it. And so... You know, we've got to watch out for that. And some of these, I look at, you know, um, really murder and, and anger are 
kind of that's the, the root of it is anger. And I, and I know myself, I can deal with anger issues when, when my kids aren't obeying. I, I ask them to do something, they're not doing it, or different things. When I'm not being treated how I feel like I should be treated, I can grow in anger. And I know this things that James has to say here speak to me. Hopefully they speak to you as well. But let's look at the, the next one here. I'm just Point two is kind of the solution to at least the... Uh, a little bit of a solution to this problem here. And he says, um, and we just have the point there, just says, ask God for what you need and desire. You know, he says basically, here's the deal, you don't have these things that you want because you do not ask God. Sometimes we want people to give us these things. And, and he's saying, hey, look, you want some of these things? Go to God. Don't try to get what you want from other people, you know. And he's saying you're not going to God. This, the message Bible puts it kind of convictingly. We need to ask God with, with God-centered motives. Sometimes we go, well, I've asked God for that. And James goes on to say, hey, when you, we ask, sometimes we ask with the wrong motives. Um, the Message Bible puts it like this. You wouldn't think of asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know that you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each of you wanting your own way. Ow. Um, but he's saying, hey, look, you don't have what we want because we're not asking God. Sometimes we do ask. We've got self-centered motives, not God-centered motives. Um, and, and he's saying we need to deal with that. Another reason we, we don't get what we ask for sometimes uh, to be there. It talks about to ask with faith. James chapter 1. James spoke really clearly. He said, hey, ask for wisdom. But some of you are, are wavering you, you, in unbelief. You're up and down like uh, the waves that are blown by the wind. And, and he said you shouldn't expect anything in that unstable you know, faith that's going on in the heart. And uh, we, we need to make sure we ask. We need to ask God. We need to ask with the right motives. We need to ask with faith. Um, and he goes on here. We'll, we'll keep trucking here. Um, and verse 4 and 5, again, this is enough to send you home discouraged, but we'll, we'll press on. Um, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or don't you think the Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? So he deals with another set of a set of problems here. Um, and it really, you know, you can fill in the blanks here, but I would say the action step would be don't commit spiritual adultery or have friendship with the world. We're going to talk about both of those here real uh, briefly, but... Um, Let's see, I'm going to read this from the, the Message Bible, just this same little passage here. I think it helps them. You know, it's pretty strong words when James says to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you adulterers, I've got something to tell you. You know, um, that's, that's pretty serious. Here's how the, the New Living Bible, or no, the Living Bible puts it like this. It says, you're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure of the unsaved world, you cannot also be a friend of God. And that's some pretty serious and some pretty strong words there. Um, you know, on one hand, we can look at the phrase, I look at the phrase, friendship with this world, and, and don't be a friend of this world, and I go, that's not too bad, a friend with the world. Um, but... James equates a friendship with this world. And this world is not talking about the lost people of the world that we're trying to reach out to. It's, it's talking about the, the desires of this world, the system that's set up against Christ and against Christians. Um, he's saying when, when you kind of have a friendship with that, 
it's like you're committing spiritual adultery. John describes the world as this in 1 John 2. He says, um, I'll just read you this. First uh, John 2.15 Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So he gives us some more insight into the world he's talking about is those things, those, those cravings, those sinful cravings, those desires that we have for the things that are not of God or things that are set up against God. And he's saying, if you have a friendship with the world, it's hatred towards God or it makes you an enemy of God. Um, he also says, you know, it's, it's like adultery. It's like spiritual adultery. God wants to have an uh, exclusive, loving relationship with you and I. The great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And, and he's serious about that. Sometimes we can go, oh, that's symbolic. I, I guess I could kind of try to see what God's thinking there. But we need to realize God takes our relationship with Him and our heart um, for Him very, very seriously. Um, Let's see some things here. You know, a couple ways to think of it. Um, one, you know, sometimes if you get into this idea of the world, people can get very legalistic, religious, throw a bunch of rules. Some of us, you know, maybe have a tendency to err in, give me the rules and I'll try to, you know, keep my ducks in a row. Other ones say, I hate rules, I know grace too well. And we go on the other side of licentious, where we don't care about rules, we're covered by grace, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, you might find yourself on, on naturally tending towards one or the other of those. But when I think of the world, I think it's interesting that it's framed through uh, the terms of relationship, of uh, committed, loving relationship. He says, he doesn't say, hey, you lawbreakers, hey, you breaking all the rules. He says, hey, you adulterers. Uh, you know, when you try to put, do I have a friendship with the world or not, in a relational context, it's like you take your spouse. And imagine if your spouse loved you and spends time with you, but what if they had flirtatious conversations with people outside of your relationship. What if they say, you know, my heart is yours, spouse. I'm just saying that's what covers men and women. My heart is yours, dear spouse. Um, 50% of the time. The other 50% is divided up between, well, some goes to, to some people I'm attracted to in my office. Some goes to some old flames from high school that I'm kind of keeping a dialogue with through my Facebook account right now. The sum goes to, most of us look at that and get a, I get a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that goes, ooh, that's just wrong. But when we think of, you know, relationship with this world, I think we're often going, ah, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't think that's a big deal. But God's thinking about, I want to have, I have right to an exclusive, loving relationship with you. I made your heart. And I have the right to a relationship with you and all of your heart. And you put it in the terms of a uh, loving relationship, and, and God thinks it's a serious deal. And there's not a lot of like, well, uh, 90% of the times I love my wife, so it's the 10%. You know, I do these other things with other women. Any percentage is just wrong, right? Uh, and we have to think of it that way. Now, most of us go, you know, I don't know if you think, boy, yeah, I'm really steeped in the world right now or something. But I, I try to imagine putting it like this. Imagine um. Maybe the devil's trying to make a case against each one of us. He's trying to make a case. He's got you on trial. And he calls to the witness stand. This person is kind of like the world personified into a person format. And, and the devil's kind of interviewing this person on the, you know, the world is on, on the stand. And he's asking the world about you. 
And, you know, he's saying, well, do you recognize this person over there? And they point to you sitting at your, you know, uh, defense table there. And, and the world, you know, it's kind of this scrappy old shady world guy. I don't know what his name would be. Slim Shady something or another. Um, but he's, he's looking at you. He goes, yeah, I recognize him. Hey. And you're like, oh, no, you know, you don't know me. Um, he goes, yeah, you know, that person, they, they buy all my materials. They come in regularly. They, they buy my, uh, you know, they buy my pornography. They buy my, you know, that person, boy, they really like, you know, uh, getting a high. That person uses pills. I sell them all the time. That person really likes alcohol. That person likes to smoke things. Um, well, that, that person there, well, they, um, you know, and he just uh, would have, he'd be making a case. Oh, you know, they love all my music. You know, they say they're a Christian, but I, I kind of talk to them when they come to the store. It's not a big deal. You worship God on Sundays, and your iPod is full of things that are full that are crap. There are things that are set up against God. Things that you sing, as long as you sing on Sunday, he's like, they love it. I tell them it's no big deal. Sure, they're a great customer of mine. Well, movies, oh, that person loves all the movies I put out and they're full of sex and, you know, using God's name in vain. And yep, they, they buy that too. And my question is, would the world that he was put on the stand have a case that you're his friend? And I'm afraid, myself included, that probably a case could be made for each one of us, you know? Oh yeah, we, we have a little friendship. We might try to deny it. We might try to pretend it, it's not there or those things aren't really worldly. But, you know, it reminds me of Steel. Some of you know Steel Crosswhite. He has a song. I don't know the name of the song, but it has a line in there over and over again that says, I'd be a liar if... Uh, he has one line in there that says, I'd be a liar if I didn't say the world has pieces of my heart today. You know, men and women, we'd be liars if we say we don't have a little bit of friendship going on with the world. We need to get honest about it. We need to realize to God, it's a serious, adulterous sort of thing. And we need to figure out how to overcome that. Now, James doesn't leave him there just swallowing in the guilt and the pain that I feel currently. I'm related to that. Maybe you do too. But uh, he says, okay, now here's, here's the cure. Let's keep on trucking. Um, and he says this, uh, you know... My spirit envies intensely. He goes on to say, but he gives us more grace. God gives us more grace. That's why the scriptures say God opposes the, the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, you know, those verses might be familiar to you. I've been reading uh, this in, in a lot of different translations because I want to break out of the mold of things that I'm familiar with here. It says it like this in, uh, again, the Living Bible. You know, it says... Don't you know the scriptures mean when it says that the Holy Spirit whom God has placed within us watches over us with tender jealousy. But He gives us more and more strength to stand against all such evil longings. As the scripture says, God Himself gives strength to the humble but sets Himself against the proud and haughty. And so, um, you know, I don't know, I would like to ask, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like there's some area of your life, maybe it's something we've covered this far, maybe it's related to the world, maybe the world has pieces of your heart in a way that uh, are, are hurting and grieving your lover, your Savior, your Lord. Um, and maybe it's some other area of life. You go, well, I know a different area. It's not even in this list, but there's another struggle. How many of you feel like you could use God's help, God's grace to overcome in some area? You can raise your hand if you want. How many of you feel like you could use God's help? I hope all of you would say you could use God's help in some way or another. And um, we want to fill out this next point here. You know, point four says, God gives grace to the humble not just to those in need. God gives grace to the humble. In some way, James says, hey, by the way, you got trouble in these areas, we just need more of God's grace. He gives us grace. But then he goes on to say, and by the way, God gives grace to who? 
to the humble. A quick story related to this is I was driving downtown this week uh, to go meet with a guy down at the uh, Delectable Egg where some of my sisters work. Um, some of my sisters and your sisters in Christ there. Um, but, but anyways, I was heading down there and I'm driving past this area that's got a few uh, kind of those homeless shelter places and often there's a lot of people out on the street there panhandling and stuff. But I was driving along and this guy was standing on the corner and he had a sign. It was just this crystal clear sign. It only said two words. In need, in big giant letters. This guy must have been 70-something years old. You could tell that, you know, life had probably been hard, and if not, it's hard recently. And so he's standing on the corner holding this sign that says, In Need. Now, there's a couple cars in front of me, and, you know, he interacts with the first one, as they usually do, and then they move to the next one, and he eventually got to me, and I just see him, he's looking at me, he's saying, In Need. And I'm just looking at him, and I'm like, you know, I don't got any cash in my wallet. I don't usually carry cash. Um, I'm trying to figure out there's nothing. I can't give him anything I've got with me. You know, sometimes you've got a bottled water or something like that. You can try to give what you have. But I'm just looking at him. He's looking at me, and he's kind of like, you know, you know, trying to want a response of some sort. And he's like, yeah, no, yes. And, and I'm just like, you know, I just look at him like, I don't know what I can do. But then he, uh, he starts to get a little fired up. He starts to get a little more animated. And at one point he goes... And, and it wasn't a chew. He was saying something else. I don't read lips that well, but he was saying... And he just started... He went on a tirade. My windows were up. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I, I, I know a few things uh, when I see someone, you know, enunciate. And, you know, I was struck by the thought. This guy was in need. But he surely was not humble. He was angry. He was bitter. And sometimes I think we can be like that with God. God, I'm in need. Don't you see I'm in need? Sure, he sees we're in need, but he doesn't give grace to anybody just because they're in need. He gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we're like that, God, I'm in need, and we have an attitude. I'm in need, and you're not meeting my need, and these people around me, they didn't help me, and we can have an attitude, though we really are in need. Um, And I just want to make the point here, the next action steps we're looking at are all related to God gives grace to the humble. And James says, therefore, humble yourself. We're going to look at some action steps here. Turn over your page and we'll just see um, six steps to humble yourself. Um, And I'm going to try to go through them fast. My wife is going to shoot me for having six steps here. She wants me to keep it at three or under. But six steps to humble yourself. You might look at it, you know, six steps to get God's grace to overcome sin. Six steps to... And I didn't make up the six steps. You know what they are? James gives six commands in a row related to, in the context of God gives grace to the humble, he finishes it all with humble yourself. So in the, in the meantime, this is a six-step program that James gives us. Um, and we're just going to look at it. Out of these six commands, three of them are straight-up commands. Three of them are commands that have a promise attached to them. We're going to try to look at these quickly and, and hopefully something here. Maybe some of these you go, I'm doing five out of six really well and I just, I need to add that sixth one. Maybe you go, I'm not doing any of these. No wonder life really stinks. Um, but let's look at them here. The first one he says this, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. In that blank, you know, I left a lot of blank space. Submit yourself then to God. You might throw in words like surrender. You want help out of sin? It's time to surrender. Yield. Stop fighting. Stop resisting God. Submit. Sometimes in, in counseling as a pastor, you try to help people with sin, and uh, most everyone you talk to that's struggling with sin, they don't want those results anymore. 
I don't want to get the same results I've been getting over and over again. But a lot of times, it's just kind of astounding to go, but you don't sense an attitude to change, the choices they're making, the attitudes that they have. There's this kind of like, I don't like these results, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and maybe it'll work out. Well, the first step's got to be, you know, it's time to give up. If it's bearing bad fruit, if it's not working, it's time to get on with another plan. And I would suggest it starts with submit. Get on your face before God. Get humble. Um, just, I think that's the picture I think of in submitting to God. Is Get on your face. Surrender. Tell Him you don't want to fight Him anymore. Stop resisting God. The next point is kind of the opposite. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know, this blank, uh, A, there's sometimes you might have heard Campus Crusade and Bill, Bra- Bill Bright, he has this phrase, he used to say, you know, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's very true. But the other side of the coin is, the devil hates you. The devil hates you, brother and sister. He hates you and he wants to destroy your life. Sometimes we have these struggles and we think it's like just occurring in a vacuum where I'm just prone to certain things. You've got to know that the devil hates you. He wants to keep you enslaved to sin. He wants to drag you down and destroy your life. You've got to know that. And therefore, James says, resist the devil and he will flee. Here's a couple good verses I know when I feel like I'm being tempted by the devil. Matthew 4.10 It's when the devil was tempting Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Get away from me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. If you feel like the devil is tempting you, I'd memorize that verse and I would use it. And I would yell out, Get away from me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. 16.23, Jesus again says, Get away from me, Satan. You have, in your, you have only the interests of man in mind. I'm, you know, he's talking to Peter in that situation. Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. It's a great verse to pull up when you feel like you're attacked and being tempted. The God of peace will soon... You know, I think when he hears words like that, I think that Satan's like, Satan wants to move on to somewhere else because he knows it's, it's true and it's going to happen soon. And there's a promise here. Resist the devil and he will flee. Uh, Jude, at one point, is talking about the archangel Michael arguing with the devil. And at one point, the archangel just says, The Lord rebuke you. He said he didn't engage you. He just said, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And so we need to make sure we resist the devil. And, and I think about the very first time when man and woman interacted with the devil back in the Garden of Eden. Um, and there was two ways they interacted. What did the man do related to the devil? Nothing. Not much of anything. What did the woman do? I think the man was on one extreme here going like, the devil's trying to tempt my wife. Okay. And the woman was on the other side. I think maybe the other extreme. She was dialoguing, she was discussing, she was kind of trying to talk him through some things here. And by the time she was done, she was deceived, she sinned and she was lost. Uh, the man on the other side, he did not engage with the devil. And man, you've got to know the devil is very real and you better say, get away from me, Satan. And women, if you feel the devil attacking you, be careful of like, oh, you know, dialoguing and trying to go, well, get away, you know, and have this conversation because you will be left deceived by the time you're done. Resist the devil, he'll flee, that's it. We need to make sure we're doing that. I'm, move on to the next one here. Come near to God and He will come near to you. you know, the blank I have here is just simply pray. Exclamation point. You know what it means to draw near to God, to come near to God, is to pray. Get humble, get before God, you submit, resist the devil, 
and pray. And, and I think uh, this is specifically, come near to God, I put here, get real vulnerable, honest with God. Some of you might have heard Mark Darling teach before. One of his mantras uh, is, if you want God to be more real to you, get more real to God. Stop talking about all this, oh, you know, our Father, how, how art thou in heaven? And in your heart you're going, I hate life, it sucks, I don't think I can get free from this. I'm, you know, get real with God. What's on your heart? What's your struggle? What are you feeling? Get it out to God because there's a promise here. Draw near to God, pray. He will respond to you right in the middle of that. We all need to probably grow in this. I know I need to get more real with God. Sometimes I, I can have more sanctified prayer. I'm praying, of course, praying. You can't use swear words. You can't use things like that, right? Well, you're not supposed to in general, but if you've got them in your heart, there's one place you probably should share them and get rid of them. God, here's my junk. And, and give me help. Give me peace. Give me grace. Give me something else. But, but I'll bring you my junk. I'll be honest with you about it. You need to make sure. Sometimes we get honest with roommates and friends and others. Get honest with God. Get real if you want to see God be more real to you. Uh, the next one here, he gives a step. Wash your hands, you sinners. Boy, uh, again, encouraging. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Um, and those are two things. You know, I would just write down, cleanse yourself from sin. Stop sinning. Cleanse yourself from it. The hands, the hands represent our actions, our behaviors, those things that are, can be seen outwardly. And the heart represents things like our motives and our desires and our attitudes and I even think it represents our unbelief he says purify your hearts you double minded well that phrase double minded he used in James 1 when he was talking about people that don't believe I think double minded sometimes can be in this context uh, I really believe God can help me I really believe he can I think he wants to I don't think God can help me I don't think he wants to I don't think he can I do today I think he can help me I really do Ah, I don't think God's going to be able to help me. I think we have this oscillating up and down, and he says you should expect nothing from that. Purify it. Get rid of that doubt and unbelief and start believing God. And then maybe you have to start back up and go, God, I don't believe you can help me. Start by being honest. But I want you to help me. I want to believe you can help me. Get real with God again. Cleanse yourself from sin. Last one, or not last one, point five here just says, Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And the, the point I have there is just change your attitude about sin. I'm surprised at how many times I interact with guys that are stuck in sin. And when you, you confront them, there's been several times as a pastor, I've had to confront people on some pretty serious sin. And, and I'm always just flabbergasted when they're confronted about it and they start laughing. Oh, like you found that out. Or, oh, yeah. And I'm just like, you're stuck in some serious sin and you're laughing at it. James says... You better turn that laughter into weeping, mourning, wailing. It's not funny anymore. You've got to watch out for that, man. And when you change your attitude about sin, if you really want to overcome it, you find yourself giggling about sin you're stuck in, you're going to be stuck for quite a while, and it probably is going to get worse. Um, let's move on to the next one here. You know, this one I like. Uh, this is from the Living Bible again. It says, When you realize your worthlessness before the Lord, He will lift you up. Encourage and help you. You know, when, when you realize, when you come before God and say, I've got nothing to bring to get me out of this, and you look to Him as the one who can get you out, who's willing, who has the grace that you need, there's a promise there. Humble yourself and He will lift you up. He will encourage you. He will help you out. I love how the message puts this whole passage here. This is, if it hasn't been convicting enough, there's another one. Um, 
And at the end, though, He wants to pick you up. The goal is He wants to lift us up. He wants to get us out of ruts of sin. He wants to set us free from the things that uh, bind us or we're chained by Him. It says this, though. So let God work His will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and He'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Real serious. Get down on your knees before the Master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Men and women, we've all got things we struggle with, sins we're trying to overcome. Some of it is specifically related to being connected to this world, a worldliness that is like adultery. Some of us have coveting and anger and jealousy issues, different things. But um, no matter what your struggle is, God wants to help you out. And He gives that gracious help to the humble. The point I think James is making here is humble yourself and God will lift you up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, God, I just pray You'd help us to to process these things. God, help us to hear what You're saying to us personally. It might be a different point to each one of us, but God, we need Your help. We are in need. The question is, are we humble? God, help us to humble ourselves before You. Not just before our roommates, before the church, before others, but before You. Because You are the one that can lift us up. God, I just pray You'd help us deal with our issues. Help us to overcome these um, these sins, this adultery with this world. God, help us to be more in love with you, more passionate about you, and and more effective for you. We ask this together this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you guys for coming this morning. We'll see you next week for James 5.